So Meta has now started blocking news in Canada over, of course, this law on paying publishers. So let's get into what the very latest is with our guest, tech analyst and commentator, Carmi Levy. Carmi, thanks so much for making time for the show. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Great to be here. Uh, so, okay, this is a conversation that, you know, we've been talking about for now a few weeks, the idea of what this is ex- exactly going to look like as it pertains to Canadian news on these sites like Instagram, Facebook, and Google to a certain extent. So where do things stand exactly right now, Carmi? Well, Mia, right now we're starting to see exactly what it looks like. And the reality is kind of stark. If you're using Facebook or Instagram very quickly, uh, the, the news that you would have seen in your feed, so links from newspapers, radio stations, television stations, magazines, any acknowledged media outlet uh, are disappearing. And if you go to where those sites used to be, their home pages on uh, or their business pages on Facebook or Instagram, you get an error message in many mm-hmm. cases they just don't show up and if you work for one of these organizations and you try to share something from them you get an error message too or if you go to their website grab a a url a web address and try to share it from your uh, account in facebook or instagram you also will get an error message as the algorithm recognizes oh it's a media it's it's canadian media content Uh, they're on our blacklist you are now no longer allowed to share it so uh, bottom line is that social media as a resource, specifically Facebook and Instagram, for sharing media content this week has become a much more difficult place. Uh, and pretty soon we won't be able to do anything uh, insofar as Canadian media outlets are concerned. So a lot of questions about what this is going to mean for journalists, for news outlets and for Canadians as a whole in terms of what is going to be available for consumption. This all goes back now to Bill C-18. So the idea of this one was to try to force the hand of these big giant to try to then pay for Canadian news. They're saying, we're not going to do that. Is there still room to negotiate, Carmi, or is the deal just done and set in stone? This is how it's going to look, and Canadian news is going to be forever blocked. I mean, we're on the runway now, and the end is getting close, but we still have some runway left. Uh, the, 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 the law has already it's become law. It's passed the House of Commons, it's passed the Senate, all the readings, um, and it has become law, received royal assent. But what happens then with a law like this is that it doesn't go into effect immediately. It has to be enacted, and before that can happen, uh, there have to be negotiations on precisely what sort of the, the ground rules will be, what will enforcement look like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, day to day. And so that's where these tech companies have to be involved and they, they the expectation was they would negotiate with the federal government on the specific terms of law. How much would they have to pay? How would they negotiate with media outlets? Would there be limits on how much they can pay? So, you know, what essentially happened was Google decided they didn't like the law, but they were still going to negotiate and they were, they were hopeful for a final solution. They're still at the negotiation table. Meta decided to take its ball and go home, basically said, we don't like the terms. We don't think negotiations are going to go anywhere. We're not going to participate. So as it stands now, it's Meta does not have a last-minute change of heart. By the time this law is enacted later this year, probably around the end of the year, let's say holiday time, uh, then uh, you know, then Facebook and Instagram, it will not come back to Facebook and Instagram. Whereas with Google, I would say there's a better-than-even chance that they will see the light of day, saner heads will prevail, and we will continue to be able to search for and receive in our search results uh, content from Canadian media providers. So a bit of a split decision uh, and a very dynamic situation, but uh, it is 
is not over yet uh, for for any of the players, and I really am hopeful that Meta is simply using this as a very strong negotiation tactic and ultimately intends to relent as Canadians deserve for them to do. But what's the incentive for them to relent? I mean, they don't need to. They don't need to be paying for Canadian content, and they're certainly not worried about users. I mean, limiting the amount of Canadian news that is featured on their sites isn't really going to hurt the amount of people that are still using those every single day. Well, there is some truth to the fact that we don't really, like certainly Instagram, nobody uses Instagram as a source of media content. I go there for the pretty pictures and the videos. I'm a photographer in my spare time, so that's what I use Instagram for. So limited impact on Instagram, but certainly Facebook. I think one can argue that uh, many media organizations had set up pretty substantial followings, and this is a significant loss for them. That having been said, uh, I think what, what Meta does here is they run the risk of shooting themselves in the foot. When we decide to use a social media uh, tool, or an app or a platform, we're spending our time. We're not spending our money, but we are investing our time and our energy, um, you know, and, and we are expecting to get something back from it. And if we're not getting media content in all the other things, a sense of community, connectedness to our personal and professional networks, then that gives us one less reason to use it. And already I'm hearing from friends, colleagues, family members, uh, and, and other individuals that I speak with that, that they are using these tools less because there's one less reason mm-hmm. to use use Facebook. So rather than flip through their feed first thing in the morning to see what's going on in their community, they're starting to go to the website of their their favorite media outlet. They're starting, they've downloaded the app of, of all of their media outlets and they're using the app to get the content directly cutting out the Facebook middleman. So yeah, Facebook won't have to pay for it, but at the same time, they've just given us one less reason to use it. Their traffic will drop. It's already dropping yeah. and this will simply contribute to the fall. And that argument, I think, could be really strong, especially for Facebook, which has sort of fallen out of favor. You know, I think people migrated from Facebook to Instagram <laughs> and then from Instagram to TikTok. And so, you know, the idea of, I think, another reason to get off Facebook sort of makes sense. I can definitely see that. But I really worry about what type of content then people that don't choose to leave Facebook are going to then be left with. You know, it seems like it's going to then amplify those echo chamber voices of of misinformation and, you know, what's being shared that isn't news. Because we're not really even sure what is going to be considered news in this law, right? Uh, you're absolutely right, and I've been watching my feeds on these platforms, and they've become, become in, in recent weeks, and particularly over the last week, increasingly driven by algorithms. So you can see when it's an AI-suggested piece of content, not something I followed, not something I, I, I thought I had any interest in following, but Facebook and Instagram decided that I should, and they just threw it in there. So we're seeing more and more of this, and of course, because it's driven by algorithm, a lot of it is based on you know things that we might have, have come across in our feeds previously, it does tend to kind of reinforce content that we would already be seeing. So in other words, it's not introducing us to alternate points of view uh, or critical thinking or, you know, the kinds of things we would find on a media uh, mm-hmm. outlet site. It's, it's basically reinforcing what we already know and we already think. And, you know, echo chamber is a perfect way to describe that. This, you know, this vacuum that's created by the departure of media content from these platforms is being filled by things that, quite frankly, frighten me and should frighten everyone because it means that misinformation disinformation just got a powerful new boost and I'm I'm seeing it in my feeds and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. Everyone else is too. Yeah, and we like to have our points of view validated by something that props them up and says that they are exactly right. Why look elsewhere? Uh, Kirby, okay, listen, while we have you, there is another conversation that I want to get into you because look, you're a tech analyst, you're a commentator, and I know that you're going to have something to say about the rush to get Taylor Swift tickets and all the bots involved. What was the strategy to try to employ this verification? 
certified fan sale. Did it work? But we have to take a very short break. So let me get your your insight on that in just a moment. We'll be right back into this conversation with our tech analyst and commentator, Carmi Levy, back in three minutes. Oh, we've been talking about Taylor Swift a lot. I get it. She's not everyone's cup of tea, but she is for a lot of Canadians that were desperately trying to get their hands on tickets and are now left going, how is this even going to be possible for me? And this is going to be a history-making tour, and with so much demand, there are a lot of questions about just how many tickets were even available for people and why now we're seeing them only available on the resale market and for prices like at $4,000, $7,000, even higher than that if you can believe it. So our guest, tech analyst and commentator Carmi Levy is back with us to explain a little bit this strategy. Carmi, let's talk about the verified fan sale and how this was supposed to mitigate any sort of big issue with Ticketmaster like we saw with Taylor last time. Yeah, we were supposed to all be able to go online and, and get the, the right to buy a ticket. In other words, not actually buy the ticket, but you know, sort of get to the front of the line to buy a ticket uh, and then everyone else would just go home disappointed. And right. what ended up what ended up happening was that uh, you know in my circle uh, and my kids are taylor swift fans she shows up in my uh, feeds my spotify feeds because hey she's got to be on when we're in the car uh, and uh, and and they all tried like we're talking like scores dozens of people that i know were all online from even before it was supposed to be available and not one person that i know succeeded in getting that sort of coveted slot to then be able to go and buy a ticket and then of course as we were having these conversations both in person and on social media we realized that oh look all the tickets are showing up four and five figures uh, on the resale sites and you could buy it from the secondary market so someone clearly won but it wasn't human Uh, and that again and we've been seeing this play out again and again and again the reason it's getting so much attention now is because it's taylor swift Mm -hmm. who is like probably the biggest megastar in pop music right now and it wasn't just one show it was six shows at one of the biggest venues in the country. Arguably, a quarter of a million tickets should have been available. You figure someone you know would have gotten in. So, you know, that that problem here of technology being used to beat out humans, mm-hmm. bots, scripts, artificial intelligence, all of these tools that seem to be available to, you know, large you know, groups of individuals who clearly aren't concert fans. It's a business to them. Uh, yet again, beating out the, the, the true Swifties, the true fans who all they want to do is buy a ticket or two or three or four and take their kid to a concert. And so, you know, yet again, this problem persists. We know that it, that provinces like Manitoba, Ontario have taken steps to introduce consumer protection laws that would protect consumers against this specific thing, the automated purchase of tickets or, or you know, slots to buy a ticket. But obviously it didn't come in time for this particular concert. And yet again, consumers walk away empty handed. So how do we put in those safeguards, though? Because you would anticipate, as you said, for a star like this with so much demand that something would have been sort of put in place to mitigate against those bots. I mean, we're talking about tickets that are now being priced at $30,000. So you're talking about being a business. It's a big business. It's a huge business, and a lot of people are making a lot of money. And yet again, but they, you know, they're very quietly doing so. And and you know, government seems to be looking the other way. And and I'm encouraged by the fact that provinces have stepped ahead uh, to try to do something about it. But this is the kind of thing that crosses provincial boundaries. How do you enforce consumer protection laws uh, on an internet that is global in nature? And how do you you know how do you hold a company like Ticketmaster to account uh, if you are not in the jurisdiction where those 
servers are located, uh, where those scripts are being run from. So this needs to be a national conversation. It needs to be a national solution. The federal government needs to have consumer protection legislation on the books from coast to coast to coast, and also partnering with jurisdictions in other countries such that, you know, when these sales go international, we're part of that regime and we're part of those protections. And Canadians know that they stand a reasonable chance of paying whatever it is for a concert ticket, but at least they know if they try, they may very well get into the concert. Because right now, for Canadians, that is just a hopeless dream. Carmi, what's the most that you would spend for your teenage daughters to go? Oh, you know, I've often said I will do everything for my kids, um, and 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 they know that. Uh, but I think I probably go up to about four or five hundred dollars a ticket, and then, then say, you know what? Let's take that money and put it into something really crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm all for experiences, but you know, when you start mortgaging the house so that you can go to a concert, I think that's when you have to give your head a shake and say the system is broken. Yeah. I'll start going to concerts again once it's been fixed. Yeah, it's dangerous. You know, when you think about the fact that you can justify spending thousands of dollars on a ticket and telling yourself, oh, it's okay, I'll pay it off, you know, on my credit card over the course of the next year. But, I mean, we're talking about amounts that people really cannot afford and shouldn't be affording to spend on tickets. That's right. Thank you so much for your perspective and your insight today on a couple different topics. Really appreciate it. Great being here, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Of course. Take care. That's Carmi Levy, tech analyst and commentator, of course, talking about Meta now blocking news in Canada um, over Bill C-18 and the bots that have taken advantage of Taylor Swift pandemonium. So if you're trying to get your hands on them, good luck to you. The chances roughly were about one in about 400. That's a rough estimation, but either way, really hard to get your hands on them. And now the only option seems to be if you pay thousands of dollars.